So, welcome back to the podcast. I am entering this as a portion to put before, um, because I didn't really know the exact topic, but we're kind of talking about community and accountability, Um, going into some, you know, kind of continuation of last week's topic that was kind of more about community and self. This is kind of more about community and... um, accountability so you can think about you know when you're listening to this kind of what would just try to visualize it because that is something that makes things interesting for me um trying to visualize you know what it looks like just like about how an average person's life would look like in a biblical time when there was this concept or this type of person called a metzora which was a person who had the affliction of the tsara'at, which is that type of lesion that you get from gossiping. If you're a righteous person, I guess you... I'm not sure if you have to be righteous to get that lesion, but it's not leprosy like a lot of translations say. It's not the same thing as what we today called leprosy this was a this was a it was something that had to do with community and you would get this type of lesion affliction from what's called lashon hara from a type of gossiping um and then you become a metzora and when you're a metzora there's all this other stuff you have to do um, after you get banned into a quarantine, you get banished outside of the community. There's a lot of stuff you have to do to come back to become part of the community again. Um, so just sit with it, um, listen, and you know when those types of topics start coming up, try to see what you think about how it would look if you were a person or you knew a person or had a family member who was a person in the same community as you following all these laws um, about ritual purity, ritual impurity, and what it would be to get you impure or pure um, and how that would look in your daily life. Like, how would that impact you? What would it look like? What would you require? I'm pretty sure everyone would require a lot of forms of compassion just to be able to get through that type of a situation and understanding and they wouldn't want to come back into the community feeling like people are judging them um because people would know that you had it you know people would know and so but then again they also probably can't be talking crap too or else they might get it so there is a lot of accountability there um but then the punishments are quite um inconvenient and they just seem like they would be a burden um so i don't know maybe it's just the way i'm reading into it maybe it's just the way i'm looking at it but i mean that's kind of how i like to look at stuff it's just kind of like visualizing it and seeing kind of like huh what would this actually look like if i were in these people's shoes 
And the way I interpret it, it doesn't really look like it would be all that fun. I feel like I'd be walking on eggshells. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but uh, there's some rambling at the beginning as usual. And then I'll I'll jump right on into it. So I hope you guys enjoy this recording for this week. All right. All right, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. Man... I'm glad to be in a different city for a bit. Probably staying an extra half a week longer than I had intended. Actually, I had intended on leaving on like Wednesday. And since I didn't have any plans near where I live, I was like, oh, I'll just stay till I make plans. So I think I have plans Thursday and Friday, maybe Saturday. So. Uh, of next week so you know and it's coming up on passover uh 2022 on the 15th of april and the 17th is easter i don't know if people do or don't follow or practice anything or have any traditions but if you do have a good one um I don't know how I feel about it. It's kind of a, a, I don't know, something about this year for me is kind of just like, eh, it's kind of a dark holiday. Like, I mean, I know it's not supposed to be like happy and joyous, but I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to like stay away from like different types of like negativity and different types of like just anything that's kind of like too kind of like stressful um so I don't really know because I'm anticipating if I go to a church service you know we're gonna be talking a lot about um we're definitely gonna be talking a lot about like uh you know, crucifixions, and, I mean, that's basically, like, torture, it's like, yeah, like, I'm not too sure if that's really the route I want to take as of next Sunday, or watching movies about it, or anything, um, but, I don't know, Passover, I mean, I've done combinations of things, Easter, Passover, Seders, like, whatever combinations, um, I'm really into, you know, <clears throat> like biblical holidays and things. I just, it kind of gives me, or even just like pagan holidays. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, something about it gets me more in touch with like nature and like the cycles of the moon. Cause you know, we do, at least in the culture I'm in, we mostly follow the Gregorian calendar and the sun. And so it's kind of nice to be in touch with the the lunar calendar um, that usually, you know, has a lot to do with different kind of days. Um, kind of having like your foot in kind of both worlds and being like knowledgeable of like different cycles of time in the year and like stuff like that. 
um, that kind of keeps me connected to it. And then kind of it goes more into being connected with nature. Um, so I do find some benefit to it. And just studying like the history of like different cultures. Um, I think near Easter, I was studying pagan cultures surrounding, um, you know, the history of, um, did I say, what did I say? Did I say, did I say Easter or did I say Halloween? Because I meant Halloween, sorry. Um, near Halloween of 2021, um, I started studying a lot of, like, different pagan culture and, like, European kind of cultural things and um I mean I definitely do that around like Christmas Thanksgiving um the new year um and then there's not usually a whole lot going on (laughs) up until Easter comes around I mean there's St. Patrick's and uh I don't know different stuff like that but Valentine's um but yeah, I was more focused on, you know, the other things, uh, just kind of like the history of stuff. I just, it just gives me an excuse to kind of study, study things. Um, I like studying the history of stuff. I really like topics that are historical, but seeing kind of how they've evolved over time or what it is in history that kind of made it so different people started adapting it to their cultures. I like that. And I also like studying about, um, like, modern culture uh, that still practices things that are, like, three, four, five thousand-year-old traditions. You know, some of it stays the same and some of it changes. But that's one thing I do like about uh, Jewish culture is just kind of how ancient a lot of it is. I think there's something to, you know, keeping the uh language um with the with the materials uh with the texts and scriptures and whatnot. Um cuz it doesn't get lost in translation as much or even though it does possibly get lost in translation as far as like culturally what people interpret it as the the originals there um because there's some there's some stuff that i've studied with like the christian bible like you know the topic of lucifer or different topics like that for example that like the more you start looking into it it's like hmm like okay like this means morning star and then that was translated about some random other person's name you know that wasn't really related to satan it's like you know and then thinking about like judaism doesn't really you know have necessarily that concept of of lucifer but christianity kind of has this historical concept of lucifer and just at least from what i understand and it's just interesting because i'm like where did like where did it come from where did it come along Um, And there's a lot of stuff like that that, um, I mean, I'm not like knocking Catholicism. It's a big part of history um, and current life for a lot of people. But I mean, a lot of I don't think it was strictly Catholicism. It seems like it was more um, the mixing of like Greek and Roman cultures 
um, the pagan culture mixing with Catholicism. Because um, it seems like Orthodox churches were a lot more similar to Judaism in a lot of ways. And then somewhere along the lines, you know, when... Um, what's his face? Antiochus Epiphanes or whatever. Constantine and all those guys. Um, they started, you know, trying to get the pagans into Christianity. Um, it was more of like a political move because it's like, it's kind of almost, I don't want to say it's the same, but it's kind of almost the same. Don't shoot me, but it's kind of almost the same as when, you know, Americans bring democracy to other places like it's not you know for the same exact reasons but it's like okay if you don't have other democratic societies there's stuff that you really can't like trade certain ways like the rules are different the laws of the land are different there's so much different stuff that's like it doesn't really benefit two cultures to have two completely different economic and spiritual and religious systems so if you kind of merge it in a way that everybody's a little bit happy, then it's like, okay. Because, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if people want democracy everywhere. I mean, there's a cost and benefit to everything. I know that. Like, like I'm, not, I'm not even going to sit and pretend like I even know what more than half the wars are about. But, I mean, it seems like you know, there's always two sides to the coin, you know, somebody always says, oh, we're bringing democracy, they need this, um, but then when you look at the people who are living in places that have bombed places, and trauma, and losing their jobs, and suffering, and getting injured, and having PTSD, and having all these, like, you know, problems from war, starvation, you know, like, losing their housing, being displaced, homeless, um, you know, I live in Southern California, so we don't really deal with weather, but it's like some places have like extreme weather, snow, you know, heat, desert, like it's, it's bad. So it's like, I mean, I can't imagine if somebody bombed the city where I lived in and yeah, even if it would benefit, you know, not having like a dictator or somebody who's like taking people out of their homes and like torturing and killing them, it's like, if that had never really happened to me, I would maybe be a little bit like, okay, I don't know if I want this either. Like you, even if people might want democracy, I don't know if they really want, um, war necessarily and the aftermath or the, the situations that come with war, um, everybody getting killed and, and all these different types of things. So I don't, I mean, I can kind of see that like democracy has its benefits, but I know that every system has its corruption. Um, like even like there's some conspiracies or talk about, you know, how even the American uh, voting process is rigged and like the candidates are rigged and the stock market is rigged and like the economy is rigged. Everything that has to do with banking and housing is rigged. Like it's all just this big mess. And so... I think humans screw up a good idea. Like we we can have an idea that in theory is like really great, but the way we go about it sometimes is just not ideal. Like n not everybody's really winning is basically what I'm trying to say. It's like so I do kind of get that that 
even with something that could potentially be good, I could see why people wouldn't want it or why it's not ideal to bring it to them or to force it upon them. I mean, we wouldn't do it on our end if it wasn't a benefit to us. And so it might be one-sided benefit. I, I really don't know. Like, I've never really talked to that many people in places that were experiencing those situations to see exactly their perspective. Like, I've had a lot of clients who are from, like, Iraq or from... Um, well, I've had friends that are from like Croatia, Serbia, that was the former Yugoslavia. Um, like I've met people from different types of places, Guatemala, like different places where like they've fled from that, you know, it wasn't ideal for them to be there during the situations that were occurring. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I just, I don't know why I said all that, but basically like I, I, I do like holidays, traditions. Um, I I kind of just like it for, I mean, a lot of it contributes to me being motivated to learn different stuff. Um, so that's what I like about it. Um, and, you know, just getting to catch up with family and friends and stuff like that. It's fun. Like, But Easter's a weird one for me. It's always kind of like, eh. Like, I know my dad's culture, they don't really celebrate Easter because it's like you don't really celebrate death like that. So it's like, um, I know, like, you know, being risen from the grave and all that, that's good. But it's like, I, I don't really know. Like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of one of those, I, I'll probably have to go into that. If I do, I'll go into it, to it on a different topic because... That's not really what I was trying to talk about. Um, today I was trying to talk more about this, uh, the Parsha topic that has to do with ritual defilement. That's, uh, it's going in pretty deep, guys. So I know the previous, um, the previous one, um, from last week, the portion, um, Tazria was about, um, in Leviticus was about, um, you know, a type of skin condition that a person could contract at that time period. Um, and after studying about a lot, a lot about that and stuff that came up during this week's studying, like they were talking a lot about, um, that that type of condition isn't what we call leprosy today it's actually a type of condition that you get that if you were considered like a a holy person or a tzaddik but it's called like a holy person like a righteous person and you started gossiping it was like you know um a type of um that wasn't a positive thing and you would develop a type of a skin condition that required you to go and be isolated for maybe a week or so. I mean, I, I might have to not have the details right, but um, you go and have to be isolated. And that's what happened to to Miriam, Moses' brother, when she was talking to Aaron about Moses' wife. Um, and 
um some of the rabbis i was listening to during the week were talking about three different levels of like com- like communication one level is a communication that's like the lowest level which is talking about other people um you're talking about just like gossipy things um just talking crap about people the next level up from that which is better than talking about people but not necessarily like any real depth to it is kind of talking about like things so like work weather um school like not necessarily i think when you start getting more into like your own experiences about like maybe work and stuff like that it's different than just talking about work um as like oh i do this job or like um traffic sucked or like whatever like just kind of like your experiences with it would be like the highest level of conversation is kind of like your life experiences um and like having different things to talk about and then somebody was mentioning if you get into a situation where you're kind of stuck where people are kind of talking crap to just like change the topic into something that's more like experience related or something kind of more of a higher level topic because um there is damage to be done by those topics not necessarily the mid topic but like the lower level topic that's that's um talking about other people that's damaging to the person that's being talked about the person who's doing the talking and the person who's doing the listening so that was kind of all last week for the most part and bleeding into this week um this week started talking about Mitsora. I honestly don't even fully know what Mitsora is. Um so let me see. I lost my place. Okay. Well, this I I don't, so I'm going to do my best to explain what I have read through so far. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to figure out where I want to start. Um, most of the reading I'm doing is from what's called Hummish, Hummish, C-H-U-M-A-S-H. So what Hummish is is it's basically the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And it has commentary from Rashi, commentary from, let me see if it has like a Rambam commentary. I don't, let me see. It has what's called Onkelos and Rashi. It has what's called Inner Dimensions and then Hasidic Um uh where is it i'm trying to find the wording hasidic kind of like explanations so and then it doesn't have what's called the haftar which is the the haftar is like the like the portions that go for the week in jewish culture like there's always going to be a torah portion and then there's a an excerpt from other parts of the old testament that sometimes is relevant 
sometimes I can't really figure out why it's why that portion is chosen. I never really understood fully who decided which of the other Old Testament pieces are going to be chosen because it's not like like basically what happens is from the Jewish New Year on for people who might not know um the Torah portions start over so when the Jewish New Year starts after all the celebrating and all that is done there's a certain time period where you start from the beginning of Genesis and every week there's a portion so the beginning of Genesis which is called Bereshit um that's the first portion for the first week of that of, of when the new year readings start and the Jewish new year. I don't know if it starts exactly on Rosh Hashanah because I feel like Rosh Hashanah is like its own thing. And then I, th- I believe it starts like whenever it's supposed to start like after that. But I don't recall if it's like exactly on Rosh Hashanah because I know during Rosh Hashanah there's a lot of other stuff going on. But the portions don't really stop. So the first portion is Bereshit. It means it's, it basically every portion takes like the beginning, like first few words. Um, so Bereshit, like ba means in. It's like the pre- is it called a preposition for in. And then Bereshit is like beginnings or in the beginnings or in the start or in the, you know. So we say Genesis because that's the book of Genesis, which means beginnings or origins. But um yeah the next one is parsh is the parsha called called noyach which is noah so it goes into noah um it just goes there's like multiple portions until you get to exodus and then there's multiple portions until you get to leviticus so we're still in leviticus but it's the parsha that's called metzora um last week was Tuz- i have so much trouble with it Tazria. Tazria was last week. Um, so you can kind of all, almost see too where you are like in the year because we're about about halfway through the middle book and then we have the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. So when the book of Deuteronomy is over, you know, it's the end of that year. Um so this Hamish excerpt excerpt from Ankylos is 40 pages. I think I'm near page 26. I don't usually read out of this, but this is the one that I get a PDF on my phone um from the Chabad website if you go under the under the learning section. They didn't used to all they didn't always used to have this free PDF but now I found that they do. And I find that this is different cuz I actually have a physical copy of a stone homish of my own. Um so the physical copy doesn't have Hasidic insights, it doesn't have inner dimensions. That's more of the like esoteric kind of uh spiritual kind of understandings and background of like what sages teach and different types of ways of looking at at things um sometimes i don't really want that i don't always want the explanations i feel like reading it for me a lot of times is enough <laughs> like i want the explanations for what i'm actually reading um from the historical perspectives more so 
than the other kind of inner dimension type of perspectives, even though I do like that sometimes. But yeah, the stone homage that I have, it's it's got the Rashi in English. This one has the Rashi, which is the commentary in Hebrew. And so I can't really compare what it's saying. The only parts that are in English is the actual biblical text part. And then there's the Hasidic insights in the inner dimensions that are in English. And so... Uh... That's a lot. But the end of Tazria went from talking about. Let me see if I can even explain this. Oh my gosh. It went from talking about what I said, like the, the skin kind of disease that made someone be considered impure and having to separate themselves for a period of time until they were allowed to come back and be inspected and being told, you know, that they could come back. So they they had to experience a type of quarantine. And there are two things that really stick out to me when it comes to the book of Leviticus, especially when we start getting to this these areas where there's like all this information about um purification type of things. Um but not so much the purification as it is like what it is that makes somebody ritually unclean and then the whole like with the with the with the with the climate of of the pandemic that we're in i mean like i don't i don't remember any other time where i've ever paid attention to anything that had to do with quarantine other than if it was a joke or you know um if it was like a sci-fi movie or like, you know, like quarantine hasn't been necessarily a part of my life up until 2020. And so I just find it interesting because it's like I find myself thinking about the conditions that they're listing and that they're talking about and just the depth that they go into about like how you would decide or how who would decide and how they decide if somebody's even ritually impure and then on top of the ritual impure situation that leads to some form of a quarantine um or a ritual washing of some form um you also get this other thing which is um like sacrificing two sometimes there's sacrificing involved so there's either it seems like there's either sacrificing of animals and all different types of things that you do with the blood and the body things and if you burn it or if you slaughter it on this on like an earthen vessel or on an altar or like what the heck there's like so much detail of stuff that i'm like this is just like such a foreign concept to me because I've never sacrificed a thing like I do come from a culture that you know they'll sacrifice goats but it's not like every day you're not just like sacrificing them um like it's more like you know butcher slaughter sacrifice if it's like a wedding or something like that but it's not like all the time um and it's not like you're doing it because somebody did something wrong 
and you're trying to like get into some kind of purification process um i know that when we talk about the rona it's like it's interesting so i took a picture today um i'm coming i was coming back from the gym and there's this place um that goes up towards the hills like near like paul's verde's rolling hills area and there's a sign that says i think it's up hawthorne and it says unvaccinated people are 16 times more likely to die than boosted individuals. It's from myturn.ca.gov. And I was taking a picture of the hill. I was taking a picture of the hill and I was a little disappointed that the gas the gas station price was like in the way. And I was like, I just wanted that natural view of that hill because it's looking beautiful. It's nice and green. Sometimes in the year it's brown, but it's like this giant sandy hill that I just love I find it so beautiful and I was like I want to like look at the picture later and then it just so happens that it has some vaccination thing in in the background of the picture it's a big like if anyone's been to LA you know LA has a whole ton of like billboards all over so this is like a billboard on the side of the highway I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) it kind of screwed up my picture but um Okay, so, I don't know, like, it just makes me think, because a lot of these quarantine um, and virus-type topics are not really topics that a lot of us are really, like, too well-versed in, and so it's kind of interesting when I think about um, the different um, situations that happen within... I haven't even been reading a whole lot of Bible stuff, but it's like within the portions of the Bible that I've read, I'm wondering how many times the word quarantine has come up. And it's interesting that I've never seen it before or or really thought about it before. And also how often I just kind of like skip Leviticus because it just seems like a whole bunch of laws that are like, here's a bunch of stuff we can't do. But the thing that's interesting about it is like, it's not really stuff that we can't do because a lot of it doesn't really exist for us now or it's not even like a thing like in modern society you know um and then like in a non-religious you know society um we don't really have all these laws about all this kind of stuff it's kind of like yeah you do your own thing but we don't really have a lot of like purity laws and ritual purity things at least where i am in southern california now i know that there are laws in certain places in the world where like even like anal sex is considered illegal and stuff like that where it's just like really but um out here it's like (laughs) good luck trying to enforce that one um but there's this whole i'm trying to find out where i want to start so it goes from talking about, you know, the Tazria that other people can experience um, that is on their body, right? That makes them have to leave the community. And then, um, as I was suspecting, Mitsora means a person that's afflicted with um, Tazra'at. Um, 
which is what they talk about in that portion of Tazria. So Tazra'at is the name of the actual, the actual type of condition. And Metzora is the person who has it. Um, and it took me a while to kind of fully understand or try to um, understand what that meant. Because reading from the Hummish translations, they translate the terms in Hebrew... So they still use words like tazara, taz, ta, ta, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's T-Z-A-R-A-A-T. You tell me. Taz, tzara'at. Tzara'at. I'm not good with those T-Z's. Tzara'at. So, uh, so... It's interesting that this, like, so I know enough Hebrew to to read it, like, as in, like, the words that I know, I can tell that that's what it does or doesn't say. Um, so this, um, hold on, I'm trying to find my place. Uh, I'm looking for the actual word. Okay, so I'm already finding at the very beginning, because this Chumash is different from, like I said, it's different from the stone Chumash that I usually read. And so this one, just looking at the first uh, Leviticus 14.1, 14.2, it says, God spoke to Moses saying, the following is the law regarding the procedure that must be followed in order to rid the person afflicted with sara'at of his defilement, right? So that's like, a, like I didn't even read the whole second verse, but basically that's what it says. But I know from the Hebrew that I was reading, it specifically doesn't say person afflicted with sara'at. It says, it says ha-metzorah. And so I was reading the Stone Hummish translation that just uses the word Metzora for the person. So it kept talking about this Metzora, 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 Metzora. And I did kind of come to the conclusion that it's the person that has the, the, the problem. But it's just interesting to try to read something that doesn't have like the English version. Because I'm pretty sure, and I don't know because I'm not going to look right now. But I'm pretty sure that the common Christian English Bible would say a different word. It wouldn't use the word metzora. So I don't know what term it's using, but it's not using metzora. And then it also, in the previous portion from last week, it was using tzara'at. And I know that that's also not a word in English. So tzara'at is the type of... Um, the, I don't want to call it a rash, but I think in English, they've been translating it as leprosy, but it's not common leprosy. It's not a person who has what we would call leprosy. So that, um, portion follows into this portion talking about the person that's afflicted with it and all the stuff that they have to do goes on for a while 
Um, and it talks about, so it has headings and it says purification from Sarat. And so it's basically saying that they have to be brought to the priest and the priest has to, you know, examine and, um, the person gets banished into this quarantine. Um, and then there's all this, um, explanation about what makes somebody, spiritually defiled versus not spiritually defiled and what they need to do so there's a lot of stuff that has to be done um there's a lot that has to be done um the priest is doing a lot of slaughtering of things and doing stuff with blood and water and i don't know because it's certain stuff it's like you think about okay how do they get all these animals like i'm thinking about this these people are in the middle of the desert right and there's literally, they have to follow all of these laws for them to actually be pure and pure. I mean, to be purified, right? So even a specific example example in 14.5 where it says, you know, um, that the priest has to get somebody to slaughter one fowl, right? So a bird. Um, and... Uh, and do something with the blood like the blood has to be dripped into an earthen vessel and onto spring water so i'm thinking you know the spring water that's been placed in a vessel so first of all you have to get a fowl you have to find an animal you have to find this animal somebody else has to slaughter it you have to have spring water i mean we have spring water because we you know can get it I mean, I'm thinking like, okay, these people are out in the middle of the desert still, right? Because they were wandering for like 40 years. And this is when they have the the tent up, the tabernacle that can travel with them, right? So it's not a, it's not a stable like temple, like a solid temple. And it can travel with them. And they basically are out in the middle of places with people contracting all different types of things and the ways that they get purified is they have to do all these rituals that involve having to have the supplies to do the rituals themselves and so I find it interesting it's like okay you'd probably have to have a lot of fowls that have been captured just in case you need um you know a ritual done um spring water you know you probably have to have the spring water I don't know where they get the spring water. You'd have to have earthen vessels, which you can make an earthen, an earthenware vessel. Like, out of I don't know if it, that has to be specific too, but I mean, you can make it out of clay or whatever, or dirt or mud or something that would still be considered earthen, or maybe carving out of stone. I don't know. Like, you'd have to have tools to do all this stuff if you're carving and stuff. Someone hunting down these animals. Um. What else? Um, cedar stick, strip of scarlet, uh, strip of scarlet wool, sorry. Um, and hyssop. And let me see. I mean, there is blood being sprinkled in places all over, like like on people in different places on altars and things and 
Uh, and then there's water being sprinkled, which doesn't sound as messy of a situation. And then there has to be a mikvah there. A mikvah is kind of where Christians get the baptism from. It's a place to immerse yourself. But a mikvah has to be water that is um, like natural or natural water source. Um, there's there's a lot of rules around what a mikvah what a mikvah needs to be. You can't just do it. But I mean, for people who know about Jesus, and there's this that book that I've talked about called Rabbi Jesus by by Bruce Chilton. Some of the historical information in there was talking about potentially that you know, you know, a lot of the Jews of that time were being kind of uh, not fully allowed to come into the temple because they weren't pure and if you weren't part of that temple system you kind of were very looked down upon and so even talking about Jesus and his disciples how they were likely younger men I think Rob Bell was talking about that in Velvet Elvis how they were likely younger men um, because they were still working with their father and even people's lifespans weren't even that long back then so it's like if they were working with their father um, fishing and casting nets and things that means that technically they they didn't get accepted to be students of a rabbi at the temple and then you see jesus becoming a rabbi um after he gets baptized by john the baptist but the issue with him getting baptized was that john the baptist was doing baptisms in the wilderness in the water that wasn't the type of purification that people who were allowed to go in the temple there's a temple and there was a mikvah there or multiple ones probably where people could go and they'd have to probably pay into a system or something i'm guessing and so if you think about it it's like they were just rogue doing their own thing it would almost be like i don't know if this is a good comparison but like hippies how they were like having their own system of like communal living and like making their own clothing and making their own stuff and not having to be part of this this system where you're kind of like exporting labor for like slave labor basically in other countries let's call it what it is and then having to pay for these expensive imported things after people have been exploited and all this kind of stuff like you're not in the mainstream system you're outside of that system and of course that's going to cause problems for a government or for you know um a political system where they want to control you know they're going to want people to be obeying the laws and so of course you know basically what happened was these religious leaders got politicians involved we're talking about during jesus time the religious leaders got politicians involved um and basically you know he was allowed to be crucified for that reason um most like he was basically on their bad side and not just for that but it's like if you think about it like backstory that's kind of like what it would have looked like so you do see the concept even of a mikvah coming up in the new testament but there's not a lot of explanation about this um so it is kind of interesting to look into if you like looking into that kind of stuff um and all of that isn't like directly in the Bible. Like I said, it's from other books, just like on the topic of mikvah when it comes up, because it's a big part, even of Jewish life now, ultra-religious Jews do go to the mikvah. They do have them. They do exist. I mean, 
if you look up Chabad sites, you know, that's that's a the reason why I like Chabad is because they're available. They have a lot of available organized content that follows the the traditional Jewish system. So if you want to pop on the websites, look at the holidays, look at the the reading schedules, all the learning schedules for the week are there. And you kind of know the topics that people all around the world are on those topics and at the same time. And so you can follow along with all the content if you look it up like I'm a nerd and I like to watch videos about like rabbis talking about stuff like you can look it up on the internet based on the week's portion or parsha it's called parsha I think parsha translates to parchment but I could be wrong um uh, okay so yeah we talk they talk about the mikvah there's also like a lot of uh shaving that has to be happening um there's remaining outside of the camp so you're outside of the group of people um so so you know that's a lot like when you think of it if you're the person who was basically gossiping and you get this white condition on your skin, you have to go through all of this. I mean, we're not even done. Like, we're not even done with talking about, like, what it is that <laughs> that the person needs to do. We're only to the shaving part. I mean, and I'm skipping everything. The shaving, the mikvah, there needs to be an unblemished two two unblemished male lambs um we're on the eighth day of this purification process by now um one unblemished female lamb those get sacrificed so it counts as an ascent offering a guilt offering sin offering um so these are different types of offerings of sacrifices that have to be given for different types of things that happen that are considered not good and i i as hard as it is to maybe not gossip about things and people and situations i feel like this purification process sounds like one of the biggest burdens um in reality i mean like how how do you get on with your life if you have to deal with this I mean, we're not even done. Like, there's grain offerings and wine libations. Um, so all of the offerings uh, require those types of things. So you're giving wine. You're giving grain. I mean, like, you have to have all this stuff on you or get it or pay somebody to get it, right? Like, how do you even get it? You're basically going into debt. You're basically in debt. That's basically what it looks like. You're in debt because you you screwed up and you have to do all this just to be able to get back into the community. Um still not done. Um uh so a tenth of an ephah, a fine flour. That measurement comes up a lot, I think. Um, a quarter of a hen of olive oil. I mean, I'm pretty sure these things aren't easy to come by. If you think about like olive oil is expensive. 
you know, there's certain things that don't even grow all year. You know, if you're just living off the land, you know, I don't know if there's like a season for olives, but I'm pretty sure there probably is. Um, uh, there's so much. A log of oil. Um, I'm I'm skipping. Okay, so that's just the first reading of the week, which is which usually goes Saturday sundown this Sunday sundown, or technically Sunday, but it's Sunday starts Saturday sundown in Jewish culture. So, um, and then there's a, a place where all of these offerings go where they get slaughtered, how they get slaughtered, um, which order things need to be slaughtered in. Um, <clears throat> there's something about that always confused me um, about the priest taking some blood, like in 14, four, 14, 14, like about the priest taking blood of the of an offering of some kind. This says the guilt offering and apply it to the middle ridge of the right ear of the person being purified on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. That's weird. I've always found that weird because it comes up more than just here. But I guess that's what a guilt offering is. If you have to do a guilt offering. Um, so you have guilt, you have sin, and you have a scent offering, I guess. I don't know what the ascent offering is, A-S-C-E-N-T, but I'm guessing that means that it's the offering that makes it all go up to heaven. Um, and then, okay, so that's pretty much, it just explains a lot of details about how to slaughter everything, what to do with all the different things um, for a person to be atoned and pure, to be completely purified um the priests do at the end at 1420 um the priests do get to eat um the portions of the guilt and sin offerings uh the priest will thus affect complete atonement for him and he will be completely purified so i don't know the second reading is kind of short and it ends with that that that's the whole explanation of how somebody gets purified um it's 20 verses was it 20 20 verses worth of information that explain how to get where like what to get and then how to basically do it all and who does it um which is a lot of information. And then it goes into this third reading, which is 1421 and on. It talks about purification from Sarat for a poor person. So there's a, it's like, it says if they can't afford these sacrifices, he can use a fowl instead of lambs and all these different types of things. There's like substitutions, um, turtle doves, young pigeons, um, and it depends kind of what you can afford. So if you're poor, you don't have to go broke, but still, it's still inconvenient. Like it's still, there's still a lot. 
of stuff. Well, I'm thinking, I'm just like, dude, this is so much stuff. But, like, and, um, then it comes into this concept of Tzara'at on homes in the fourth portion, which is, which is the interesting part to me. Um, so it has to do, it's saying in 1434, um, when the Israelites entered into Canaan, um, that God gave them as a possession. Um, That they could, that the Israelites were going to dispossess those people. They were going to occupy the land, inhabit the homes that those Canaanites were inhabiting. Um, and basically, because they were possessing, you know, the houses and things. Um, it basically says, you know, that there could potentially be Tsara'at lesions upon the house and the land that, that you know, the people from Israel were possessing. Um saying that some of those people stashed gold in the walls of their houses um and um cuz they were going to be able to repossess and move back into their homes so um, these these things make me tired. It's just so complicated. It's just this is like the most complicated stuff <laughs> to try to like read through, and it's just like okay, so the house can develop a type of a lesion basically, um, and the only person who's qualified to inspect this is going to be the priest. And the priest looks at the size of it, if it's a Sicilian bean size, if it qualifies in size or whatever, um, and what it is that gets defiled by having this on the house, having this Tsara'at lesion on the house. Um, And it says nothing in the house becomes defiled until the priest pronounces it to be so um and then that if something that's metal or wooden utensils in the house gets considered ritually defiled that they could be also immersed in a mikvah um if somebody is defiled already at that time then they're allowed to consume the food um and 
there's just there's a lot i mean it talks about what to look for and things like the coloration and all this and then um on the seventh day that the priest has to go back and examine the house and if it if the lesion is lighter or darker in shade of red or green um the affected area can be scraped and then the the priest can pronounce the house rid of the defilement um if the lesion has spread then the house must be purged and so basically the stones where the lesion is found have to be removed you have to dispose of those outside of the city um there's already a designated place and then scraping um there's a lot of scraping and it talks about one of the workers must take other mortar mortar dust and plaster um the new stones into the wall of the house so basically you have to do like a renovation um which sounds like a pain it's like i don't know how structurally sound these buildings were um it talks about you know i I don't know how long they've been there because they basically got these houses they these were the canaanites homes and so um there was something about the houses where the people stored gold and objects like of value and things like that in the wall for those houses were the ones that were getting this problem um uh and it talks about the seventh day of of the second quarantine week also counts as the first day of the third i don't even understand i don't even know what we're talking about here but there's a point where the house has to get demolished the stones the wood the mortar dust um it has to be taken outside the city to the filed place um Anyone who enters the house during any of the days of one of it, its initial quarantines, um, that person becomes ritually defiled until the evening. And so there's an immersion process that has to be taken with the mikvah again, with the garments. And, uh, and it talks about the difference between... Um, if a person was lying down in the house um, versus if they weren't. And I mean, there's just, you know, it can get replastered if it didn't spread again, basically. But there's so much. I mean, like, can you imagine, like, you are a person with the type of a defilement it's like i feel like you get so screwed by that it's like you get screwed by the by the process of having to like get purified 
Um, so, there's a whole process, too, that involves more of, you guessed it, a fowl, earthen vessel, spring water, scarlet wool, um... All these different types of things. The cedar wood, the hyssop, the strip of scarlet wool. Um, these things come back. And that was like the fourth portion. Then it goes into the fifth portion. Um, so when we start talking about the fifth portion... It goes into talking about defilement contracted by males. Um, it talks about abdominal discharges. So it talks about either a discharge that was semen or non-semen. And if its consistency was watery or consistency of the color of the white of a spoiled egg versus seminal discharge which was viscous or white of a sound egg. It's like this whole thing. So it's basically there are other types of discharge that if it wasn't semen, then you kind of have a problem that leads to something that's another type of ritual defilement. And... um. It goes along the lines of explaining that it depends if a person was laying down or sitting down somewhere on furniture or on a saddle. If another person lays or sits there, then they become ritually defiled. Um, there's a difference between somebody who touches the area versus someone who was laying or sitting there. Um, so if food or drink touches the object that's defiled, um, from the man sitting on it or laying on it, then, you know, the food or the drink can get defiled, but I guess, um, um, there's something different with the person. So, in 15.6, it says, Similarly, anyone who touches or even sits on an object upon which the man with the discharge sat without touching it becomes ritually defiled. Any garments that the person is touching or otherwise wearing while ritually impure is being transmitted to him um um they also those clothing pieces also are ritually defiled and those garments and the person have to be immersed in the mikvah and they stay defiled until or ritually defiled until evening um so And then it says if if the man with the discharge merely touches an object 
which is different. So there's a difference between a person who touches or sits on an object, their garments and themselves becoming defiled, versus the person themselves, this Metsora person, if they touch an object um, that's for sitting on or reclining on, the object itself will only transmit defilement to food and drink, but not to people or implements. I don't understand that. I don't see what the difference would be if a person who was defiled sat or laid down on something and then a person B comes over and touches it, that person and their clothing gets defiled. But then if the person who's defiled touches as a, a seat or a saddle or whatever kind of bed or something then the only things that get defiled are food or drink. And again, like it said before, food and drink can be... Defiled food and drink can be consumed by someone who's been defiled already. Who's already currently ritually defiled. So... Alright. Then it goes on to talk about, in the sixth reading, about defilement contracted via, via seminal discharges and then it goes on to talk about women defilement contracted via menstruation and it just has a lot to say about there's like a whole chart that I don't even understand it's just a lot um uh, I don't know what these numbers are there's a huge chart. There's a chart that shows bleeding. A chart that shows... The, in the chart, it says continued or no bleeding. It talks about consecutive days or no bleeding. And how many days of bleeding. The first menstruation. And any number of intervening days. That's just one part of the chart. And then there's two other charts... It's like figures five and six. There's all these other charts. However many consecutive days of bleeding. Following by the clear days. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a lot of information, guys. Um... There's a lot going on here. There's also a chart for the Tsara'at on buildings um, that shows like what happens that leads to quarantine and if it's lighter or darker and if the person needs to scrape it or if it disappears or if it spreads. Um, that shows if there's going to be birds necessary or not. Um... Or how you can return. Or if the area needs to be purged. And quarantined. Or just quarantined with no purging. Um, I mean this is a lot. But I really think about. You know. We've kind of got a good. I mean when you think about. Our. Um, 
life, at least where I live, um, there isn't really anything that makes you ritually impure. There really isn't anything that would make you have to go through so many um, things. I mean, the Rona has been inconvenient, at least. Um, I want to knock on wood and, and, you know, say I'm, I'm lucky I haven't gotten it. But also it's like... Um, even though I haven't gotten it, I don't think I'm completely out of the woods. Like, it's still spreading. And then... Um, it's... It seems... I mean, this isn't really something you can compare because it's not like a ritual defilement kind of situation but it's like you get I'm just trying to like find some kind of equivalent it's not going to be an equivalent at all but it's like if you get COVID and say you have mild symptoms you might not even know that you have it you might have mild or no symptoms you might not even know that you have it like I've known people who got it from other people and the person that got it initially didn't even know that they had it until the other person who got it had symptoms and got tested. And then the first person was like, oh, shoot, I need to get tested. So that person had been going to work and doing all these other things and didn't even know that they had it. Um, but then, you know, the jobs sometimes, you know, they don't go out of their way to be like, whoever contacted this person, um, you need to go home, work from home, stay home. Some places don't even have that kind of sick leave that's paid or any kind of, you know, quarantine leave. I mean, the government had programs that at least our government did where you could apply for some kind of money. Um, but we weren't um yeah it it wasn't possible to really tell who was in contact with someone else who had it and some places took it really strict and some places didn't and the whole time I've been mostly working from home luckily so I don't really have to worry about it on a regular basis like that like, any time I have to worry about it is mostly just my own will leaving to go do something, then I have to worry about it. But, you know, um, and I live in a house full of people, and none of the people I live with got it, but also they were mostly home. Um, and we all kind of have our own separate rooms. Some people wear masks in the house, some don't. But... We've been pretty safe with it, but it, I mean, I'm not really trying to talk too much about the Rona, but I mean, it's just fun to think about the Bible and kind of how I'm so glad that that is not (laughs) my reality. It's not, um, it's not something that we have to deal with like when like we don't become a metzora um 
those types of lesions don't even exist for us. We don't get that kind of lesion or anything because of gossiping and things like that. Um, Maybe it's because maybe nobody's really righteous enough to get it. Or maybe it just doesn't exist anymore. I don't really understand that. And... Um, I don't really understand the, um, just kind of, I, I, I wish I could understand more about the actual equivalent to what these people, poor or, um, wealthy or just well-off um people like what would be the equivalent of what they're paying like how much is a foul how much is a log of oil how much is you know 10 ephahs of flour like how much would that really cost um let me see if i can look that up and i don't even know if it's gonna be accurate but i'm just gonna look up um So, um, trying to see what would a sin offering equivalent be today? Um, I don't know if it says, uh, Because, I mean, these aren't the only offerings, too. Like, it's not just when somebody um, does, like, gets a me- becomes a metora. It's like, you're also doing sin offerings and guilt offerings and stuff like that on a regular basis um, because you're sinning. And so it's like... How often, like, how did they get all this stuff? Like, what did their economy look like? I feel like you basically just have to have money so you could pay for your sins. Like, because everything was considered a sin. Like, it's like everything. Like, literally. If you're even thinking about, like, the stuff that's coming out of your body naturally, that's already a problem. And then it's like, how do you even work when you have things like this happening where you have to leave the community for like a day or two days and or your house has to get destroyed or you know you have to leave your house it's like it just doesn't sound like it's um convenient in any form at all um i feel like most of your your days and weeks productivity would be spent you know looking for you know, ways to pay for your sins. And if a priest says that you have to do it and, you know, the community is going to say that you have to do it, you have to go. So you're kind of isolated outside the city or outside the camp um, while, you know, this is getting taken care of both inside the camp and you're doing your other things. I don't know what you're exactly doing. It depends. Like, I guess the Mitsura was still having to shave and do all these other kind of rituals and things. 
um, and what the mikveh system was like, I don't know, but it's like, I kind of wish, um, I just wish that, you know, I knew kind of what it looked, what, what, what that looked like in today's terms, because I feel like it would be not ideal. Um, okay, let me see. I'm going to look up, um, goodness, 10th of an ephah. A flower. So how much is that? Uh, so one. Uh, so one ephah, one biblical ephah is ninety-two point nine nine cups. So a tenth of that is like 9.30 or so cups. 9.3 cups of flour. And how hard would it be to come across 9.3 cups of flour? Because 9.3 cups is already a lot. I don't know how much comes in a bag of flour, but 9.3 cups is a lot of flour. And back then, it's like they had to grind it and everything. It's not like like you'd have you'd have to grind enough of I don't know if you were grinding corn or wheat or what you were grinding to make the flour. But I mean, you'd have to have it in abundance to get nine cups out of it. That's already a lot of work, a lot of effort. And I'm wondering, are these people, the Metzora, do they have to go and find all this stuff to provide for themselves? Like, do they have to find the bird and find the the lambs and find the ephah, like the 9.3 um, cups of flour? Do they have to find the log of oil? olive oil i mean yeah it's it's expensive as we have it and so hmm and i'm not sure what the mikvah if that costs anything but i'm just like man it would be expensive to sin like and then to be a righteous person to potentially sin as a righteous person who has wealth like if you're a righteous person that's poor versus a righteous person who's wealthy i mean either way i th- I think it doesn't really matter either way if you're rich or poor it's still gonna hurt to have to do all that but it's like those are some pretty deep consequences um versus being able to live with your community versus you get banished until you do that um, that to me is just something I just cannot wrap my head around. Um, but there is some incentive to be good because if you're not, <laughs> then you're screwed basically. But I feel like 
today we don't really have those types of uh motivations um you can screw something up and just that's just how it is um yeah it still hurts people but you're not like okay i have to leave the city and go to the wilderness to this place of defilement and you know the priest has to come to me and have to do all this stuff and shave all my hair off and you're out there for like a week or two weeks or whatever and you're not with your community I mean you're probably out there with other people who did other stuff it might not mean that they all did the same things because you can be banished or quarantined or whatever for multiple different types of reasons from things from breaking the commandments like killing people and stuff like that to you know just basic stuff that's not even that doesn't even seem like it's too harmful you get a punishment of a form you know to kind of regroup and to kind of uh get back on track so it just sounds like a lot and if you screw up a lot then you'd probably get banished a lot um and like I was saying, you're you're still needing resources to do all these other types of offerings, you know, um, for just like naturally living your life. You still have to do offerings. And so I'm not sure how much time all this stuff would take. It seems like a lot to follow up on um, for the priests. You know, they'd have to be following up on all the people who have whatever types of sins and things that they need to kind of be forgiven of. And, I mean, a lot of the offerings, they're able to eat them. So once it's all being burned and all the stuff, they're able to eat it. But it's like, that's a lot of, you know, your livestock and um, a lot of different things that you're not getting um in your pocket um it seems like it would be hard to become wealthy um if you're constantly having to slaughter everything that you not everything but if you had a big family i mean you're probably having to you know slaughter a bunch of stuff all the time um so I, I I don't know. I'm just trying to picture it. It just seems so complicated. Um, I don't even know what it would be like, really. Like, you'd basically have to spend a lot of your energy and time, you know, getting yourself in a position where you could actually, like, do your daily task and duties and things for as long as an amount of time as you can cuz i'm thinking like what if you're an adult you're the head of a household you become a metzora you have to leave for like a week or two or whatever and you're a man and then you have this discharge and then you have to have all these things where you have to become defiled for i don't know like a day or till the end of the day or whatever like, it just seems like it would be so disrupted. Like, your life would be so disrupted because of all the process of the sins. Like, you'd basically just be having to, like, you know, 
invest so much energy in like covering your tracks for everything that you do wrong or incorrectly um and there's a lot of stuff i mean we haven't even touched on it we're we're in like chapter like 15 somewhere 15 16 somewhere and i mean i only started recording about this stuff near like last time last time's portion not before that and so there's multiple chapters before this that was talking about a lot of other stuff um I feel like they've been on a roll ever since the Ten Commandments came and then there have been just laws after laws after laws since the Ten Commandments there's been a lot going on um but I do like to think about it like kind of in a realistic perspective because it's like man like imagine if you if you really just did that you'd have to you you heard the list that I was like kind of briefly reading off of and then not even to count just like naturally just like having a period or you know having semen come out of you or something it's like goodness like you have to do all these things all this all the time like I just feel like it would be such a hassle and I know um you know for Jesus following people like people who read the New Testament how it does how Jesus made a comment saying that like um uh, my yoke is easy my burden is light and I think it I think Rob Bell talked about that too in um Velvet Elvis saying that like yoke refers to like you know how rabbis would talk about like their certain teaching um that his was appealing to people because it was easy it was light and then there was also this other concept um that when you think about when you think about the time of Jesus they weren't really sacrificing like this during that time um and I was told that the reason for that was because um the when the um when the temple got destroyed in Jerusalem um they couldn't do the sacrifices anymore because the temple wasn't there I'm not sure if that's accurate but yeah at the time of Jesus you don't really hear a lot of people of Jewish um leaders talking about um all those sacrifices and things but you do hear about the temple of people buying and selling stuff um that they still needed things for like rituals and things like that but it wasn't the same and especially like if you think about like there's only really one proper place to do it like if you, you couldn't be like spread out and living in like Egypt or living in like Ethiopia or something and then having to come over to Jerusalem and doing this all the time like it's just not logical um and Jews were really spread out back then so I don't know I find it interesting they're interesting topics I think I'm gonna stop talking about it because it's, it's making me tired <laughs> um but I don't know. I mean, it's just, it just sounds like, um, a complex life to live 
Um, you must really like the community, I would say, to want to stay in it. Um, it must have been beneficial. I would say it seems like it would be beneficial to be a part of a community where everyone has high standards. Um, where everybody has the high standards of wanting to be, um, like, good or having rules. Like, I think it could get tricky because humans are humans and there could be a lot of, like, you know, favoritism and politics and things like that. But I don't know. But, yeah, I mentioned, I think I mentioned last week before I knew what my plans were going to be that I was meeting some people that were kind of, like, interested in, in, you know, community and things like that, and kind of my hesitation, but that didn't end up happening anyways. Um, the event, I didn't, I didn't go, um, but I wasn't gonna go because I wasn't in town, and then, well, I thought I wasn't gonna be in town because I made up my mind to go out of town, even from where I'm at now, which I didn't end up going out of town, and then, um, it turns out that they never actually did their event, I found out today. So, um, it just didn't happen. So, it is what it is, but I, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think community is, um, community is you know um like it does help when people have what do you call it like a um accountability accountability that's kind of what it what it seems like um because you kind of have to be at least somewhat someone accountable um for yourself but it does help when when you're accountable you know to when there's other people involved um there is more pressure to do things like I notice when I tell somebody I'm gonna do something it's a lot easier for me to do it when I'm just like hey I'm gonna go snowboard or hey I'm gonna go um I don't know whatever it is that I'm gonna go do I'm going to go do it and then I go do it. So, um, or at least I'm more likely to go do it. I wouldn't say a hundred percent of the time, but sometimes I just need that accountability there. Um, and all right, guys, thanks for listening.